The Gospel according to Luke. Luke's Gospel and the chapter 1. Now in Luke, the Gospel commences with two annunciations. Two announcements of coming births. The first is the announcement of the forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist. And the second is the announcement of Christ himself. The first annunciation is to an old priest in Jerusalem, in the temple, Zacharias. And the second is to a young virgin in a humble home at Nazareth, Mary. Now there are many comparisons and contrasts between the two scenes. Luke, like an artist, has wonderfully set them in parallel. And the parallelism itself makes an interesting study. Both recipients respond with a question. How different are those questions? Zechariah's question reveals unbelief. In verse 18, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. But Mary's question reveals obedience and faith. For she says, believing the announcement, but wanting to know, how shall this be? Saying, I know not a man. Zacharias comes out of the scene dumb. Struck dumb in the chastisement of God, but Mary comes out magnifying God and singing the marvellous Magnificat, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And so out of the two, the youngest is the more worthy and the most honourable. It is to the second annunciation that we turn to consider for several Sabbath mornings and several Sabbath evenings in the will of God. And so our text will be the verses 26 through to 38. Let us hear the word of God, inspired, infallible, instructive, verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God onto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favoured, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God 
shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Now this morning I would like to underline the very important words in the verse 32. The words the Lord God. Gabriel says, the Lord God. Only twice will you find this name for God in the Gospels. Only twice does this combination come together. Both occurrences are in this Gospel and in this chapter. Here in verse 32 and also in verse 68, where it is on the lips of the dumb man, Zacharias, who, after God has opened his mouth, and he understands the errors of his ways, and he understands what God has done, the first words that come out of his mouth in verse 68 are, Blessed be the Lord God, the Lord God of Israel. He also has learned to say this name of God in this situation. And of course, this is from the Old Testament scriptures, and Zacharias has the Old Testament Psalms and other portions in the back of his mind, such as, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. And there are two wondrous things done in this chapter. There's an old barren woman who conceives, and there's a virgin who conceives. Wondrous things. And it's the Lord God. That's the emphasis. It's the Lord God who does those things. And we must never forget that. Those are the key words. As we shall see in this narrative, never take your eyes off those words. We will turn to them again and again as we go through this series. The Lord God. That's who we want to meet in this word. The Lord God of Israel. We want to have an encounter with him as we immerse ourselves in this story. The Apostle Peter, he once uses the words in his first epistle when he says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And that's what we want to do. We want to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts even as Mary did that, and as, though late, but at least eventually, 
Zacharias did that too, sanctifying the Lord God in their hearts. Now, when the angel introduces this divine name, the Lord God to Mary, he is doing so with the backdrop of the book of Genesis. Because it is in the book of Genesis where this name begins to be revealed, the Creator, the Almighty Divine Creator, the Lord God who made all things, the Lord God who does wondrous things, and one of the most wondrous things of all up until this time is the creation, the cosmos. It was the Lord God who made all things. And Genesis tells us that these are the generations, the genesis of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God created them and made them. For the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. So Gabriel is bringing us back to creation. He's bringing us back to Genesis. He's bringing us back to that divine name who made the heavens and the earth. It was the Lord God who formed man. The first Adam formed man of the dust of the ground. And it's the Lord God who forms the new man. The new man, Jesus Christ, of the substance of the womb of the virgin. The same Lord God. It's the Lord God. And Gabriel is telling her this. A man became a living soul. This creator God. The Genesis God who makes all things. And now he comes to a virgin's womb. Because a new creation is commencing in that womb. In the incarnate Son of God being made flesh. He's been made flesh by the Lord God. This story is self-contained and it commences with the arrival of the announcer in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. And the story ends in verse 38. The angel departed from her. So he, he comes and he departs and he's sent to Mary, and he gives this announcement, and he doesn't come alone, and we'll see that. The story is a complete scene on its own. It may be viewed in two parts. Verses 26 and 27 are the preface, the introduction to the story, setting the background, the things that we need to know before we go into the story, and we'll look at verses 26 and 27 tonight, God willing. They're introductory, a little preface. And the story itself, verses 28 through to 38. You'll notice how the story begins and the story ends. It's the same kind of word. Verse 28, the angel came in unto her. And then how the story ends, the angel departed from her. Uh, the verb enter, depart, is the same verb but one has a form in, the other one has a form out. It's the same word at the start and at the end. The apostle is enclosing the story. The angel entered in. This is the beginning of the story. The story continues 
the angel leaves. He goes out. He departs. The same verb form. So it's enclosed, the story. And verses 26 and verse 27 is the little historical preface before the story that we need to know about before we go in. That's how the passage is designed. The end is similar to the start. But there's a difference. Because I don't think the angel went out the same as he came in. Angels, I don't know to what degree they vary in holiness and in joy, but I like to think that Gabriel, after having had an encounter with this woman, seen her faith, seen her godliness, seen the way that she accepted her commission to be the mother of the Lord, he must have come out skipping and leaping the way back to glory. That's not the way he came out in visiting Zacharias. I don't think angels get depressed, but Zacharias was smitten. He was made dumb. It wasn't a very good response. It was one of unbelief. I don't think he came out skipping and leaping out of the temple from Zacharias, but he must have done so when he left Mary, that joyful angel of God, Gabriel. And may we be like him. As we enter the story, as we immerse ourselves in the story, and as we eventually come to leave the story, may we also leave like him, jumping and skipping and going on our way to glory, rejoicing, rejoicing, even with the rejoicing that the angels have in heaven. And so I trust the time in this portion will be well spent and that our Christian faith will be strengthened and our understanding of the gospel deepened and our love for the Lord God intensified, multiplied and exceedingly abound in our hearts. Yes, the Lord God. God in his sacred three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God. For this story is not the story merely of two persons meeting. It's not the story of Gabriel, the holy angel. It's not the story of a virgin, Mary. No, this is the story of the Lord God. This is the story of the glory of the Creator, the glory of the Holy Three revealed in Jesus Christ. Now, Gabriel is worth studying. We'll look at him. Mary is worth examining and reflecting upon. Both are worthy of imitation as examples of obedience and especially Mary as an example of faith. But the story is not about them. The story is about the Lord God. It's about him. It's not about the glories of the angel. And it's not about the glories of Mary, though many want to speak of that. It's about the glory of the Lord God. The glory of God alone. So this is not for their deification, though it is recorded for their honour. Our aim is not to be taken up with them, but with the Lord God and him alone. So God lies at the core of this story. You see that in the preface. 
verse 26. The sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto Galilee. On the one side, Gabriel. On the other side, Galilee, Nazareth, Mary, the virgin. But in the midst, the God, the God who sends the angel and the God who sends who Mary. It's that God who's in the midst of the preface. The God sending. It's God that's in the focus. And that's why I started with these words, the Lord God. We keep our eyes on him, his work, his plan, his purpose, what he is doing here. In this story, Mary and Gabriel are only instruments. The story is the story of the Lord God, of God's sovereignty, of God's election, of God's power and might, of God's sovereign choice of Mary and of her virgin womb. It's a story of God's grace in Jesus Christ. It's the story of Satan's destruction in the woman's seed. It's the story of salvation commencing here in a virgin's womb onto the ends of the earth. Worlds without end. It's that story. And it's the story that the Lord God has given to us. It's a marvelous story. Now the narrative here has been so framed as to put these words, the Lord God, in the very middle of the story, in the very heart of it all. The triune God at the centre, at the core, in his sacred three persons. You remember as Isaiah's vision in chapter 6 of his prophecy, a remarkable vision. It's actually Isaiah's call though he doesn't write it down until the chapter 6, and he has reasons for doing that, which we'll not go into. But that day, when he was called, he was in the temple. Because Isaiah did not only be called to be a prophet, he was a priest. And he could go into the house of God, he could go into the temple. And this day, it was the year that Uzziah died, Isaiah is in the temple, and something marvellous happened. He had a vision and the great veil that he could see. It became transparent. It was kind of removed. And he was able to see beyond the sign and the sacrament, as it were, of the veil. He could see beyond to the reality. God gave him the sight of the reality. He didn't just have faith that God is beyond that veil, reigning and ruling with the cherubim surrounding him. No, Isaiah saw it. He saw through sign and symbol to the reality that God reveals in those signs and symbols. And he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the seraphim surrounded him and they're crying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God. And eternity broke into time and Isaiah saw it. And the very doorposts of the house of God physically and literally trembled that day of what Isaiah saw. It was a life-changing event for Isaiah. Though he holds back telling us it until chapter 6. 
It made a deep impression upon him. Before this, he had been saying, woe to this and woe to that and woe to that man and woe to the other man in chapter 5. But then, when he sees this, he says his last and final woe, woe is me. Woe is me, he says. He saw the Lord. And those seraphim, they were saying something. They were saying, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is filled with his glory. The whole earth. Do you see what Isaiah saw there? The angel says, the whole earth is filled like that. If you could but see it. In every tree, in everything in nature, the whole earth filled with that glory. If you could but see beyond the material to the reality behind it, you would always see that the whole of nature is filled with that same awesome glory of God. And that's what's happening now in this home in Nazareth, in the incarnation. Once again, in a new manner, the whole earth is being filled with God's glory. God is entering into his material creation in a way that boggles the mind and amazes the human heart. God is manifesting himself in flesh. God is coming flesh. God is joining to himself material and entering into his creation in a new way in a marvellous manner such as not hitherto. The eternal word who made all things is now himself being made flesh. That's what's happening here. And that's why I went back to Isaiah chapter 6 because at that veil, that's where Gabriel commenced his journey. That's where Gabriel first appeared. Because Zacharias was on the incense altar. Some priests don't get to do that job. There are so many priests. It's done by lottery. You get one go at it. You don't get a repeat of it again. One go. Some priests never get it. But he got it this day. He was old. He's at the veil. Now he didn't see the veil removing. It wasn't just as spectacular as that. But there came out from the veil, there came from the eternal reality and stood at the incense altar, the angel Gabriel. He appeared from beyond the veil, entered into time, left as it were the eternal heavenly realm and entered into time and appeared. He's not alone. God is with him. The Holy Spirit is with him. But he comes as the one who brings the word, who brings the announcement. The New Testament story doesn't begin in Bethlehem. The New Testament story begins in the temple at the veil. As God breaks in to his creation. So that, that's, that's what Luke is, is telling us here. So that's where Gabriel comes from, the throne room. The preparer of the way for God. And this God comes to work 
in a virgin's womb. Now, as we go through this story, you must distinguish between announcement, that is annunciation, and conception in the womb. The announcement is the word spoken. Conception in the womb is the creative word working. The announcement is the announcement of an angel giving the word of announcement accompanying the creative act of Almighty God who is working by his word even as he speaks and as Mary accepts by faith her role working in her womb. So there's more here happening than just an annunciation. Far more. The annunciation is accompanying the Lord God working. And it's a marvelous story. So there's not just a word here, there's a miracle here. A miracle in the league of creation. A new creation. A new genesis. And I believe that the new heavens and the new earth commences here. In a virgin's womb. That's the story of the gospel. Now I know I'm jumping fences here because we're only at the door of the story. We haven't even entered in. And I've jumped away ahead here to the centre of the narrative, the Lord God. As I said, the narrative has been so arranged to put the Trinity in the centre and Jesus Christ at the heart. Now, while Mary stands out as a character to study in the passage, I point out that the narrative is arranged not to make her central, but Christ. I can't go into the process whereby the writer does this. You can count the words, you can count the sentences, you can look at the sentence structure, you can see how words are mirrored each side of the centre. But putting all of these together, you come to the heart. There are actually 217 Greek words, which leaves the words 108 to 110 to be the central words in the text. And so verse 32 is at the heart. And the central words are, guess what? The Lord God. The Lord God. That's why I've asked you to underline those. By various devices, the Holy Spirit has so framed this narrative story to put the Lord God at the heart. The Lord God who is going to make Mary's son the Son of the Highest, and give unto him a kingdom that is eternal. It's the Lord God that does that. It is Christ-centered. And pray much that we may see Christ, that we may see the glory of God revealed in the Word, as we ought to see that the Lord would make our hearts to be pure, so as we come to the Word, we may see God truly in the text. So it's God-centered, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is here as well. You will see that. At verse 26, we're told, sent from God, and it's in our text, verse 32, the Lord God shall give unto him. So God is here, the Creator God who made all things. The Son is here. He'd be called the Son of God. 
He is the one who is to be named Jesus, the son of the highest, and he'll get the throne of his father David. So the son is here. But the Holy Spirit also, because you read there in verse 34, Mary says, how shall this be? Saying, I don't know a man. I believe you. I accept this commission. But how? How shall it be? The Holy Ghost, the mighty third person in the Trinity, the Spirit of the Lord, all three persons are here. God triune in the heart. The Holy Spirit shall overshadow thee. A marvelous creative work. Do you remember creation, Genesis? The Holy Spirit, he broods over the creation, bringing life, that miracle of life into the creation. And now the same God broods over a virgin's womb, bringing life, even the eternal life in our flesh that comes to us in the gospel. It's the Holy Ghost that is overshadowing this womb to form the humanity, the sin-removing humanity of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. It's the Lord God, the triune God involved in all of this, working together for our salvation. Just as God had said to Isaiah, who will go for us? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who will go for us? And God says the same in eternity past, who will go for us? And it is the Son of God who says, I will go. I will go. And here he comes. Being made flesh. A miracle. Believed by faith among us all. And so I said, our aim is not to be taken up with Mary or Gabriel, but with God. And to praise him as we come out of this story. And as I said, that's the effect of this encounter on Mary. We want to come out of the story like Mary came out. And that's described for us in the next section, the Magnificat, my soul doth magnify the Lord. She sings that in the house of Elizabeth. We will have cause to look at those words too. While we're focusing mainly on this event and this story event, we will have occasion to look at her words in the Magnificat because that's the song of this newly pregnant mother. That's the song of the explanation of what has happened to her. And what is taking place here? It's her look at the situation, her take on it, her explanation of it, her praising God for the wonder of the experience of it. My soul doth magnify God. God. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for He, He regarded my lowest state. He has so worked with me that all nations and all generations will call me blessed. He that is mighty has done to me great things, and holy is His name. He, it's the Lord who's always saying, He. He, he, him. Him. So she doesn't come and out saying, talking about herself. 
She doesn't come in out saying, well, the glory's of Mary and you should look to me. No, those who love Mary truly and those who want to honour Mary fully and justly and rightly, they do so by listening to her, listening to her word. And her word is one of magnifying the Lord God. He that is mighty has done to me great things. And we'll see those great things that he did to her. And we want to leave with her. Not singing to her. We don't sing to her. But the Blessed Virgin, we sing with her. Yes, we sing with her. Together with her, we sing and we praise God. Now, don't get me wrong. This woman is a woman of immense faith. She is perhaps the greatest lover of Jesus Christ that has ever walked this planet. And I have no doubt that she is closest to the throne of God, near her son. For she loved him supremely, and she served him more than any of us ever could serve him. But she is not worshipped, and we don't sing to her, but we haven't a bad word to say about her. In fact, we'll fail to get the good and the right and the proper words whereby we might honour her the way she ought to be honoured. But she does not receive the glory of God and she does not want to receive the glory of God. We come short of her worthiness, but she does not exalt herself over us. She rather joins with us and she says, together we magnify the Lord God. We want her spirit. We want her soul. We want her heart. We want the same love, the same affection, the same faith, the same humble obedience. And if we have to immerse ourselves in this story to obtain that, let us do so. And may the Holy Spirit give us grace to follow her faith. And may he bring us into the love of Christ. So read and pray over this passage. Attend the hearing of the word of God. And we also will magnify God with Mary. And say, holy is his name. The Lord God. May you experience his grace. May we together as his people as we worship him together in this house, may we experience his blessing and may we leave together magnifying the Lord God. And so to him be glory in the sacredness of his three holy persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, worlds without end on to all eternity. Amen.